Hey friends, as always, it's an absolute pleasure to be back here with you for another episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. For new listeners, my name is Simon Hill and I'm the creator of plantproof.com, an online resource with free information about plant-based nutrition and wellness. And I'm also the host of this show where each week I get to sit down with incredible guests and talk about their journey, share their knowledge. And I, I hope that these conversations inspire you as much as they inspire me. Before we dive into this week's guest, I want to give a big shout out to coconutbowls.com. And no, I don't receive any money from this company, none at all. Maybe the odd bowl here and there, but I just genuinely love their message about cutting down on single-use plastic and reusing. In the new year, I will be having Jake McKeon back on the show. He's the owner of Coconut Bowls to dive deeper into exactly what his company is doing and tips for creating a conscious company that leaves a positive mark on the planet. You may remember I was in Bali recently, hard to miss with the number of food posts I put up from my favorite places. I actually put up a post with all of my suggestions on Instagram. So if you haven't read that and are going to Bali, head to at plant underscore proof on Instagram find that post you can see all of my top tips for eating in Bali anyway Bali has been a place that I've been going for many many years in in July 2019 I will be designing the menu for a week-long plant-based fitness retreat held in Bali if this is something that you're interested in you want to know more about it flick me a message on Instagram with your email speaking of Bali it was, it was actually in Ubud, Bali earlier this year where I met this week's guest, Adam Guthrie. Adam has a tremendous story. Faced with a life-threatening illness, he was able to turn his life around. And not only that, but was able to take his physical performance and health to all new levels. I don't want to give away too much, so let's dive into the episode and hear from Adam himself. I hope you enjoy it, folks. Adam Guthrie, welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast. Thanks, Simon. Pleasure to be here, man. Good to see you in Byron Bay. Yeah, it's um, it's a beautiful part of the world. We were just talking off air about how I'd love to move up here one day. So uh, hopefully not not too distant future, I can I can relocate and come up here and enjoy some of this this uh, beautiful lifestyle that you are certainly enjoying. Yeah. How long have you been up here? We've been here three years now and, and it is a good lifestyle. I wouldn't want to move anywhere else. What do you, what are most of your sort of days look like up here? <laughs> a lot different to what they used to be, but up here, the morning is I get up around about four, I meditate for a couple of hours and I head down the beach. I'll do like a seven-minute workout and then I'll go for a surf. If there's no surf, I'll go for a swim across the bay from the pass to down to the the surf club, from the pass to the surf club yeah, yeah. in the bay when it's dead flat. Or I'll go for a run. I enjoy running. But most of the time there's always a wave. I've got a long board. I've got a short board. Yeah. yeah. Well, so where, where do you normally surf? I normally surf the pass on the long board. Or if there's some swell, you know, it'll be at Broken Head or yeah. Lennox or Tallows. And, yeah, every day it's a surf. I heard it was pretty decent yesterday. 
Yeah, yeah. It was, well, I, I surfed the pass yesterday morning. Yeah, okay. It was closing out around at Tallows. So you swim up around the pass. Now, the, the international listeners may not be aware of this, but certainly the Australian listeners would be aware there's there's, just, there's been quite a few sharks sighted up <laughs> in this area. Do you ever think about the sharks around here whilst you're out there swimming? I think about them, but I've never seen one, and I hope I never do. Yeah. But they're um, apparently they're there, you know, and they're there. Do the locals talk about them? Sometimes when they're around, like, you know, when they're around, there's warnings and you hear about it. And, but there hasn't been any shark attacks for quite a couple, of, a couple of years now. Yeah. So it's pretty safe, really, when you think about it. More people die from a car accident than they do by being yeah, a shark. That's true. So, that's true. You know, I've been surfing since I was 12 and I'm 49 now and I've only ever seen two sharks and I'm in the water most days. Yeah, it just sort of gets, I guess, blown up by the media, right, whenever yeah. one's seen. Yeah, totally. Now, you've got a, a fascinating story, which I first heard while we were in Bali. That's where we met yeah. in Orbit. You had a sort of near, you, you had a life-threatening illness and which has led you to living the lifestyle now that you have very passionate about cooking and eating whole food, uh, whole plant foods and, and being sort of mindful and conscious. And I want to go into that journey and where you are now. Before we do that, though, we were we were in Ubud. Have you spent much time in Bali and do you like it over there? Love Bali. Yeah, we spent three years actually before we came here. We took our kids to the green school and which is this environmental school. It's you know branded as the the most environmental school and the, the greenest school on the planet. And it's all made out of bamboo. The architecture is amazing. But what's really cool is how they teach kids. Now our kids, they didn't enjoy the school process here, the normal days in classes. They didn't want to go to school. Anyways, we, my wife decided that we'd go to Bali and we took them to green school and the change was incredible. It's like, Dad, come on, let's get to school, you know, come on. Wow. Let's go. And How old come, were they then? Uh, 16, um, okay. actually, four, yeah, 14, 13, between 12 and 16 yeah, in that sort but, of age. But sort of the start of high school Yeah, period. Yeah, and they'd come home going, guess what we learned today, man. Dad, it was amazing. And what the school does is they look at each kid individually and look at what inspires them and motivates them. And then what they do, they go and create a curriculum around their personality and, you know, they teach like learning by doing. So instead of just sitting in a class, I go, well, let's go and learn maths, English, science, but let's not do it in the classroom. Let's go and build a bamboo structure and we'll teach you while we're doing that. So the kids are outside they're touching, they're doing, they're experiencing. It's like experiential learning. And they just get so excited about it. And to see things like my daughter's got this amazing voice that we discovered when she was four years old. We're at this wedding, a hippie wedding. There's all these dudes just playing music. And then all of a sudden we turn around to this voice and it's our four-year-old daughter standing on the stage with all these hippie music, musos just building this beautiful sound. Wow. And we had no idea she had it. And... That disappeared when she went to school and she wouldn't sing at all. She'd never sing anymore to us. I don't know what happened. But then Green School brought that back out and there was a moment there she sang in front of everybody in the Green School Assembly and it brought tears to my eyes. It was amazing. So we're really grateful that we got that experience to have the kids go there. And so you were living in Ubud at that time? Yeah, Yeah, Ubud and Changu. Changu. spent half and half. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've spent a bit of time in Changu. I saw you posting about Shady Shack. 
Yeah, yeah, every day. That place is good. <laughs> it's so good, man. And the nori bowl, that was my favourite. Is that yours? Yeah. <laughs> I created my own little version of that the other I day. Saw that. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, damn, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I think I think usually when I go to Changi, that's my go-to or Peloton. Yeah, Peloton's really good. One of the two, but I like the Shady Shack. I mean, hopefully some of that outlook and the, the rice fields don't all disappear, but it's probably likely that they will. Yeah, it's changing fast, huh? Yeah. Development's going up everywhere. Mm. So before you you went to Bali, where where were you based? Berry on the south coast of New South Wales. So it's a couple of hours south near Jerringong, Palmer. And is that where you grew up? That's where I grew up. That's my parents moved down there from Sydney when I was about six. And it was an awesome place to grow up. Back then it was just a little farming village. Hardly anyone there, a couple of hundred people. Now it's a few thousand. But rolling green hills, the beach is five minutes away. Learned to surf there. Had a you know grew up jumping into creeks and ropes in the creeks and it was really safe just to hang out riding around the town it was awesome. So lots of adventure, lots heaps of, of adventure, man. <laughs> do you, do you think about that when you now look at your kids? I mean, your kids are now how old are they now? Uh, twenty one. Twenty one. So they've grown. They've grown up. But, but do you sort of think about your childhood versus kids now? And how technology has crept in, and the the differences between you know being outside and and sort of have when you are bored having to come up and, and create fun uh, versus now sort of kids sitting on an iPad. Yeah, yeah, the iPad and the iPhone. I, I think technology is good. I actually don't mind them being on it because I also see them out and about. Like my youngest daughter Lily, who's seventeen, she surfs. Uh, Rose, who's twenty one. She's uh, she's out and about every morning, walking to the lighthouse, and they're down the beach a lot. That's the thing about living here. It's just the climate's perfect to be outdoors, and everyone likes the outdoors. So it's the environment you're in. I think like if you're in, you know, maybe the city, or you're not around an environment where it's warm, I think kids will be on those iPads all the time, which is a shame because they're not moving. They're doing a lot of pausing, but it's like, you know, and you have no idea really what they're looking at. And, you know, one of the important things that I find regarding health is not only what we eat or how we move, but it's also what we consume visually or or hear that affects our emotions and affects our health. So I think, um, you know, they're good for every now and then because it's the future, it's technology, information's handy. I think if you're on it all day, um, health, and you're just eating rubbish while you're sitting there doing it, it's not a good life mm. and it's going to be very sad to see yeah. where those kids are up. I agree. Yeah. So growing up down around Barry, mm-hmm. surfing and, and whatnot, what was what was your sort of standard diet like growing up? Was it, you know, the typical of a family down that way? Meat and free veg. Like Meat and free veg. <laughs> yeah, my mum was a good cook. You know, she didn't, in the 80s, you know, all the processed foods started to come into play and a lot of our, my friends were eating that. And But my mum never bought that stuff. She still... We grew some veg. We had 20, I grew up on 25 acres. So it was a little farm and my grandfather lived with us and he used to grow food. So we'd eat the food from the garden and, but we'd have meat, you know, steak and veggies every night, mashed potatoes and steak and pork chops or whatever. And, um, yeah, so I was pretty healthy, but I saw my mates, you know, acne was bursting out with all this processed food. So it didn't happen to me. So I was pretty grateful and I always had a healthy body when I was young. It was only when I got older that it started to change. But growing up on a farm in Berry is pretty magical. But I did become vegetarian when I was 21 
And I remember I didn't realize it at the time, but when I was about 10, my parents bought me this little BB gun. And I remember sitting on the hill and there was a little bird on the fence. And I just went, got the gun and I went, and it just popped off. And right at that moment in time, I went, oh my God, I just started to cry. And I was just thinking that bird could have had its whole life and I've just taken it away. And I didn't make the link to eating animals with that. I just felt really sad that I took a life away from something. Yeah. And, you know, I had other experiences. I think most kids have that, are born with that level of compassion, right? I think so. Definitely. I don't think, like, you know, we've all heard the saying, if you give a kid a rabbit and an apple, you know, they're going to play with a rabbit and they're going to eat the apple. They're not going to do it the other way around. And I think it's just built in us that this compassion, we see that there's something living there and we don't want to create any suffering or pain. Yeah, I'm not going to name names, but I, I, I listened to a podcast the other day and there's a well-known chef in Australia and he was advocating for meat consumption based on the fact that it's challenging to have kids eat veggies. And, and he was saying, well, if it's so damn challenging, we're always like, you've got to eat your veggies, you've got to eat veggies. Like, well, maybe there's something in that. Maybe the fact that they don't want veggies and that they will eat the meat versus the veggies is telling us intuitively that they're meant to eat the meat. And I just started to think about it and I was thinking, well, that's very different to if you said to the kids, here's some berries or some vegetables and here's a live animal. This is where it will come from and you choose what you're going to eat. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I'll choose the berries. (laughs) Yeah, every day of the week. So did you as a kid, so you had that moment Mm. where, you know, the incident with the bird, but there wasn't a real connection at that stage to what was on your plate. As a kid, eating the meats and eating these vegetables that your family was growing, did you ever think about the role that nutrition played in terms of your health or was eating just a part of your everyday life for energy? Yeah. I mean, I started to get interested in nutrition and health uh, in my teens because, you know, I played sport. And, but back then, all the information was you had to have protein from meat, from animals and carbs from you know, pastas and potatoes and, and you know, your other nutrients from vegetables, you know, leafy greens and others. So, you know, there was nothing saying that you could be vegetarian. I didn't come across any of that. So every sports person that you would follow or research were just eating meat. And so I just followed that path and I had no other idea in my head that, that you could live without meat. It just wasn't there. And we weren't fed that. We are just fed, you know, my mum cooked and we are just fed meat and three veg every night. So we just ate it. Yeah. It wasn't until later that I discovered that there was vegetarians. <laughs> so how, how did you discover that? I actually discovered it. Um, I, I just finished my apprenticeship or just about to finish my apprenticeship as a chef. And I actually, it was around my 20, it was just after actually, it was my 21st birthday and it was a big night. <laughs> we all got wasted. And um, something happened that night that, you know, really threw me. And from that day on, I was waking up every morning drinking, going to bed drinking. I was just drinking alcohol, perpetually drunk for about three or four months. And I actually put quite a bit of weight on in that period. But my mental health really suffered. And I remember sitting in Jamboree Pub one night with a schooner thinking to myself, every single person in this room is talking about me or looking at me or a super paranoid. Yeah, wow. When you say something happened that night, as in like actually something happened or you woke up the next day and you just felt like a different person? No, some, something happened. I, um, 
what happened is it all ended up into a big all in brawl because I was all, I was, I was a bit of a drinker when I started drinking when I was 12, every binging every weekend. And I'd always be in fights every weekend. And, and there was a, there was some guys at that party that I ended up having a fight with, which was, wasn't too good. And then from then on, I was felt really bad the next day, you know. And did you get injured in that fight? Or? No, 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 no. It's, it was, it was okay. What happened though was that emotion that yeah. Adam, alcohol is such a bad thing, man. Like for you, it's not a great mix. So once the yeah. alcohol had worn off, you're like, that's not the kind of person I want to be. Yeah, I regretted it and really bad. And was is that was in Barry? Yeah, Barry. and is my it, parents was parents it pretty farm. rough down there in the in the country. Uh, not in Bury, um, but in Nara, yeah, it was. You know, we'd head there on the weekends to go binge drinking. Tell our mums that, that we were going to the movies, but we'd go to the park and buy flag and support and drink them. <laughs> what were most of the fights over, over over women, or just because people were drunk, or just alcohol? Yeah, and you know, I've got a, I'm half Irish, and the Irish uh, are renowned for you know when they put a bit of alcohol into them, they either get super happy or they get pretty angry. And I've got the gene that makes me angry. So I avoid out. I haven't had a drop since four months after that wow. first birthday. That's a long it's, time. It's been a long time. And the way that, so that night that I was paranoid, I thought to myself, I'm either going to not wake up in the morning, I'm going to die, or um, if I wake up tomorrow morning, I need to change my life. And I woke up. <laughs> I didn't end up committing suicide and I would never, would never go there. I'm grateful that it didn't happen because under the influence of alcohol, stuff can happen that you've got no control of your mind when you're under the influence of alcohol. So I'm very grateful that I woke up. And then I remember somebody told me about a book called You Can Heal Your Life. And that was the first thing that popped into my head that next morning was You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. So I went to buy that book. I bought the book and I spent a month going through all of the exercises. And it was through there that she was talking about, you know, working on the body, the mind, and the spirit. And I thought, well, I need to work on the body because I'm overweight, went to a naturopath. And it was through her that she started to get me on a vegetarian diet. And I went, wow, this is cool. I'm feeling good. And I started to work on the affirmations on the minds with what Louise Hay was talking about. And then a few months later, I went to the naturopath and I said, look, I'm working on the body with you. I'm working on the mind with these affirmations. But Louise Hay is talking about the spirit. And I grew up as just a Catholic and that's all I know about spirituality. What do you know? And she says, Adam, there's a whole bookshelf out in the waiting room all on spirituality, Eastern philosophy. Just pick a book and read it. And if you've got any questions, I'll answer them for you. So I picked out this book called Liberation of the Soul. And it was a book about a meditation path called Shirat Shabbat Yoga, which is the yoga I follow now. It's a meditation yoga. And... Um, I remember devouring that book and the principles of this yogic path is no alcohol or drugs because it affects the mind and you can't steal it in meditation. Plus you'll do things under the influence that you wouldn't do if you're sober and not create any bad karma. The other was a vegetarian diet because you're creating less karma, less pain and suffering in the world, which makes it lighter and easier for you to withdraw and access the the light and sound that's in you and me and every living thing on this planet that sustains us all. So this path teaches you how to come in contact with that. And the other thing was live a moral life, you know, just do good to people and then do two and a half hours meditation a day once you learn how to do it. 
So that's the path. And that's when I came across vegetarianism and I became a vegetarian then and stayed a vegetarian ever since. However, being a vegetarian can still not be healthy. So what was your vegetarian diet made up of? <laughs> well, originally it was, um, you know, it was just vegetables and beans and legumes and potatoes and sweet potatoes and pastas and dairy, a lot of dairy. Cheeses. Cheese and yeah. milk. I'd eat iced coffee moves every day and I'd eat a round of brie sometimes. I was still eating, I don't know, something in my head. Emotions were, I'd felt a lot of anxiety at a time and the thing that bring that down, I'd, Go and eat. Cheese is very addictive too, right? Super addictive. You know, the queso morphine in it really is <laughs> pretty hard to let go of. However, when I did drop that, it was overnight. But the vegetarian diet, and what happened was I ate that way for in my 20s. And then in my 30s, I started to put on a lot of weight. I started to get into, you know, with my work. What I was were you doing his work then? Uh, real, estate. real estate. My parents owned one of the agencies in Berry, one of the first agencies, and I joined them. Um, so you thought, because you started off as a chef, right? Yeah, yeah. So then you left that yeah. into real estate. Yeah, I left that. I First I did the chefing, went travelling, came back, opened a cafe, a vegetarian cafe in Nara. Um, I've been to Nara, right on the border there. Is it? Uh, border? No, no, no it's, not the border. Um, it's just no, I'm 20 minutes. Corowa. I'm thinking of Corowa. Oh, okay, yeah. Different place. All the in the, yeah, totally. <laughs> forget that. I sound like a foreigner. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's in the Shellhaven and yeah. it's, it's probably the last place you want to open a vegan cafe, but vegetarian cafe. But I did and it went nuts. Like we had queues out the door every lunchtime. It was awesome. But we sold that, bought a combi, went to go around Australia, came up this way. and But then, you know, we ran out of money and I rang my dad and said, look, I want to come and work for you. And he said, fine, let's, let's do it. And I was with him until 2003 and in that time I'd set up, I helped a mate set up Perfect Break Vegetarian Cafe at the surf shop in Natural Necessity in Gerringong and that's still going today. It's been going 18 years. So I had a bit of a stint doing that for a year and then went back into real estate. But going back into the real estate, it was like my soul wasn't there. You know, I was really successful at it. I'd build a good brand. People came to me to list and sell their property and financially, it was very good to us. The thing is, though, there was just something inside me that, you know, I wasn't living my purpose and it was frustrating me and it put me into depression and I would just eat and eat and eat. And I gained, I went to 110 kilos. So I was normally 75, 80 kilos and went to 110 kilos of super fat. <laughs> and were you exercising as well? Or? No, I was just in the car. I'd rock into a service station and I'd come out with a bottle of Coke and a packet of chips and, uh, you know, a, well, a picnic. <laughs> so as long as it was vegetarian, anything was fair game. Anything was fair game. Yeah. And through that time, you know, I was just eating. I'd come home and I'd eat two or three pizzas from the local pizza's joint. And so you imagine how. How, how were you feeling? Because at this time you're practicing your meditation and stuff, mm. right? How were you feeling mentally? Like, did you have clarity? I... When you eat that sort of food, it dumbs your mind. It br really brings it down. And you, there's a thing, have you heard of Ayurveda? Yeah. Okay. Well, the naturopath that I see, she taught me Ayurveda. And when you really understand the doshas, the pitta, kapha, vata, but you also understand the like rajas, satvik and tamas, those qualities of mind, when you understand those, you can certain foods and certain environments put you into those different mindsets. And the mindset of 
what happens when you eat that sort of food, a lot of dairy, especially pizza and the ones left over the next day that you put in the microwave and eat, your mind goes into a consciousness that's called rajas or tamas. So I'll explain them to you. The best way to explain them is like if you had a drawer full of socks and you open that drawer and there's a fish in the drawer. Now, if your mind is at the quality of tamas, you'd open that drawer, you pull out a sock, you probably wouldn't even see there's a fish there and you just close the door and put the sock on. Like you have no idea that there's something wrong, okay? The next thing, you open the drawer and your mind's in rajas and your rajas, you open the drawer, you see there's a fish and you know it shouldn't be there but you just can't get yourself to take it out or do something. So you know there's something wrong but you can't get yourself to do it. Can't act on it. Can't act on it and that's the rajas mind. And then there's a sattvic mind which is you open that drawer and inside that drawer you see this fish with socks and you go, that is not meant to be there. It's out and, you know, the socks are out, they're in the washing machine, the thing's scrubbed clean and it's back beautiful how it's meant to be. So when the certain foods you eat, if you eat whole foods, plant-based, way nature hands them to you, not processed, that's sattvic food. That raises your vibration so that your mind becomes super clear. However, you know, if you eat the processed foods, whether they're vegan or non-vegan, any processed foods, they actually bring your mind, and especially dairy, it brings your mind into rajas and same with meats. And it takes you even lower if you eat that over a long period of time, you become tamasic, which means that you don't even know there's something wrong. And to get out of that, you're going to need help from somebody else to actually lift you to rajas. Then you'll know there's something wrong. And if you keep feeding people the food, they just keep rising into satwick. So the answer is to like just eat plants in the natural form and your vibration rises. And you become more and more aware. More and more aware. And for some reason, you know, even though I meditate, it all starts with food. The food is the key. So so true. Yeah, yeah. That that's one of the the main things that I've noticed in myself yeah. is over the years of just eating only whole food plants, how much more aware I've become of other areas of my life, which I've probably looked at like the fish before, but haven't even noticed that there would be something that I should act on. You know? Yeah, totally. And yeah. it's yeah, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. It's powerful stuff, food. So you're you're in this period of your life where you're you're on the vegetarian diet. It's not the most healthiest vegetarian diet. What happens in your life for you to go, okay, I actually need to take this to another level. I need to to eat healthier. And if I'm gonna eat healthier, this is what it's gonna look like. Mm. Yeah, I that didn't happen consciously for me. It happened through an event. And that event was, I, a mate of mine rang me one morning and said, Adam, you know, the surf's going off, it's big. I'll see you in the car park in 15 minutes. Went down to the car park and there's a big swell. It's about 10, 12 foot. No one's in the water, but the car park's full. Everyone looking out to the ocean. So he and I like big waves. And even though I wasn't fit, I said, well, let's do it, you know. So we suited up. What beach is this? Uh, Wherry Point, Wherry Beach. And um, so we jumped off the point, paddled out, paddled into this first wave. And it was a nice wave rode a long way, pulled off. But as I pulled off, I saw this set building on the horizon. And I thought, man, if I don't get over these waves, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble because, you know, I'm big, 110 kilos. And if I get held down. It's big. It's big. Yeah. It's big. 
I thought, man, if I don't, so if I get held down, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. So I just paddled super hard, got over the first one, got over the second one, just got over the third one. And then the fourth one, I still remember it was like this mountain and I'm paddling up it. And just as it starts to curl at the top, I went, man, if I don't get over here, it's it, I'm gone. So I just gave it everything I had and I just got to the other side. And as I got to the other side, I got this pain in my chest that went into the back of my shoulder blade and down my left arm and I thought I'd pull the muscle. But it didn't go away, so I went in, went home and then sat down to do some paperwork and as I sat down, it really happened. I got this crushing pain in your chest where it's like an elephant sitting on you and this nausea and this cold sweat and I knew something was really wrong but I didn't know what it was and so I went to the hospital. Were you home alone? At that I time? was home alone and I rang my wife <laughs> and I don't know, the guys listening to this, you might relate to it, but most guys I find it's all when they're sick, it's always worse than it is. You know, you're looking for the sympathy vote. I see so, the boy cry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the boy boy's crying wolf. <laughs> so I'm like that with my wife and she goes, oh, Adam, you're just having a panic attack. I said, no, honey, there's something really, really wrong. And she was too far away to get me there. So I got my mother-in-law and she drove me to the hospital and they rushed me in, hooked me up all these wires, took blood, came back a little while later and said, Adam, you've had a heart attack. And I went, I don't think so. I'm like 39 years of age and I'm vegetarian and they're meant to have one of the lowest risks. I said, well, Adam, I don't know, but you've definitely had a heart attack. And that threw me like, I'm going, holy shit, you know. See, when you're big, I, I mean, you've probably never been big, but um, from a fat point of view, but when you, I didn't think I was big, really. Like I still thought I was, you know, in my teens like that. And then it re- made me realize, gosh, what happened to you? How did this happen, man? Like, how did you get to this point when you love sport, you love so being really outside? really made you face it. Really faced it. And I came home and they sent you away from the hospital with five meds. Yeah. And I th- did they, did they, did anyone come in and, and explain, you know, like you're saying you're vegetarian and they're saying, well, you've had a heart attack. Did anyone come in and say, this is why you've had a heart attack and, and this is what's happened in your body and this is potentially what has caused it? No one. It was just, here's the meds. Let's get you fixed up. So it's just like you're unlucky. You've had a heart attack. You're overweight. Here's some medication. Yeah. What they did, they kept me, I was in the Shellhaven Hospital, then they flew me to Sydney and to Randwick and they rushed me in, did an angiogram and they were ready to put a stint in. That's what they usually do. And what had happened, and this is really interesting, most heart attacks happen before your arteries are fully blocked. It's just when the plaque's starting to build uh, under the endothelial cells and they become a bit brittle and they can tear. And that tear then creates a blood clot to try and heal it and stops the blood flow. That's exactly what happened to me. And you see these guys in the gym or on bikes, unfortunately just gone, you know, they're riding along and they have a heart attack and they die. Only 40% of people survive heart attacks. So I'm feeling pretty grateful that I'm still here. But what happened was that had happened, this tear, and I could see it on the angiogram. And, but it was too low in the heart. So they weren't able to fit a stint in there, which I'm super grateful for now because I don't have that any foreign matter in my body. And then from there, they put me into intensive care. And because of that tear, I said, well, man, if you haven't got a stint in there to hold that flap up, what's going to happen? You know, he said, well, just heal. 
like you get a cut on your arm. It'll just heal over time. We'll keep you in hospital a little bit longer. But when I was in... And they put you on like blood thinners. Blood thinners, you know, the beta blockers, all of those things. Yeah. Which are life-saving at that time. It's, you know, there's a place for medications. There's definitely... In that acute care situation, it's life or death. Life or death. And this stuff will keep you alive. And so they did that. And the nurses in there were amazing. They, I've never felt so safe anywhere in my entire life as I have in that intensive care unit. Like the nurses were like, they were there. They already knew what I was feeling before I did. Mm. <laughs> they were like something would come up and they were there. They were reading the, all, oh, they were all, reading the all the signs. And yeah. So I felt totally safe. But then that was after five days. And then they put me back out into the normal part of the hospital. And I could only last one night. I was so scared. Like I'm going, no one's paying any attention. Am I okay? What if I get another heart attack? Like all these things were going through my head. And I said to my wife, like, we got to get out of here because I just don't feel, it doesn't feel good. So we, we got out, went home. I just took the medications for a month. And well, then, you told these medications, you're going to take these forever. Yeah, it was actually, wasn't the hospital. They said, look, take this, go to the go to this course that teaches you to recover from a heart attack, which was good. You know, it didn't talk about veganism or vegetarian or whole food plant-based diet. It still talked about meat, but it, you know, got you, gave you confidence to move again. One of the things they want you to do is start walking straight away, which I was really scared to do. I was really vulnerable. I thought, well, if I walk and is this going to happen? Like, like I could die next time. So they got me going. But then a month later, you got to go to the cardiologist for a checkup. So I went and saw him and I said to him, mate, I'm not feeling too good. I've lost my mojo. Everything's really flat and life's really dull. And he said, well, Adam, there's like signs, there, side effects from medications. And I've got to tell you though, you're going to be on them for the rest of your life. So you need to get used to this. I said, man, I don't want to live like this. This is like, this is like almost death. And he said, look, we may be able to tweak things later or give you another medication to overcome that side effect. And so we went back and forth on this banter. And he said, Adam, look, really, it's your lot in life. And that was a defining moment. That was the moment. He gave me the greatest gift, that guy, because he made me go look for another solution. If he didn't say those words to me, like this is your lot in life, I'd probably be still taking the meds. And I left there and I went and Googled how to reverse heart disease with food, thinking, you know, I'm a chef. Actually, while I was on the couch recovering from this heart attack for that month, I was reading the China study. There you go. So it started giving me a thought that it could be changed. So I went home, Googled, and I came up with Dr. Corbel Esselstyn, who, you know, is renowned for helping patients reverse heart disease. He brought out a couple of years later, a year later, the Forks Over Knives documentary. So I found these guys and I started eating that way. Within six months, I'm off all meds. Wow. Did you speak to your cardiologist about that? No, but I did with my um, GP and he said, look, I can't take you off these things, but your numbers are looking good. So um, I just started winging myself off them. I think I got rid of three and I kept one or two of the others. Can't remember the names of them. I don't want to remember the names. Yeah. But, and, you, you know, no one should really take them off without their doctor's permission. So, you know, if you're on these things, do if you eat a whole guidance. food, do it under guidance, do it with a, eat a whole food plant-based diet under guidance and your doctor will end up taking you off them because your blood numbers will get And was, was the doctor, I mean, he was saying your numbers look good. Was he, was he intrigued and curious? Oh, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> 
he was surprisingly not. It was really weird. And when it got to the point, like a year later or two years later, I went in there and these numbers were amazing. Actually, it might have been that six months. It might have been the year. I can't remember. But and were you mainly, what were the main things you were looking at? Like cholesterol? Just level. cholesterol level. Yeah. And that was the main yeah. indicator. And it was coming down. It was at 4.8, which is in the healthy range when I had the heart attack. Most people have heart attacks in the healthy range. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. And call Esselstyn, he's, you know, and most cardiologists want to get you under 3.9. Under 3.9, this is really Why do you think the healthy range is considered healthy if that's where most people are having their heart attacks? Great question, man. I've been contemplating it for years, but it's the thing that I can see is just to sell more medications. It's like... um, you know, if, you, if you're telling people, here's the healthy range, there's a risk you're going to have a heart attack in there, which means we can feed your meds. But if you bring it under 3.9, most people have never had a heart attack. Hardly anyone ever, 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 ever has a heart attack under 3.9, apparently, according to Google system. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So you you were reading about the China study yeah. and what these guys, you know, these doctors were doing by way of reversing cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. And we've just spoken then about a whole food plant-based diet. Where did that journey start for you in terms of actually creating dishes? What what food groups were you and, and still to this day? What do you focus on? What does that mean to you, whole food plant-based diet? Yeah, well, a whole food plant-based diet, it started for me as soon as I Googled it and started to understand what it was. And what it was was a low-fat whole food plant-based diet. So what that looks like is no oils no refined oils because it's processed. There's no olive press hanging on a, a tree in nature, you know. So eat the olive instead of the oil. And so it's eating food the way nature packages it and hands it to you. And the reason why that's important is because all the protein, the carbohydrates, the vitamins and minerals and the fibre are all packaged in the perfect proportions so that the body knows what to do with it. You know, you eat something like that, They're all in the correct proportions for that food and your body. Your body, you know, intelligently knows how to assimilate and process that food. You separate it, become isolates, you take the protein out. So important. Man. And you're just, you're losing the balance. You're losing the balance, man. Totally. So that's what a whole food plant-based diet is. So I ditched the oils. Actually, I didn't ditch the oils straight away. It took me a little while to comprehend that. I'm still cooking with a little oil. So I'd just eat whole foods and that would be starches, you know, a lot of potatoes and things. And I started to lose weight. And then I came across the E. Cornell plant-based nutrition course and I started to, uh, I, I joined that you in the that. early days. Yeah, one yeah, of the first. Done that have too. you done that? Yeah. yeah. So that was a great course. And that gave me a really good understanding. And that's when I picked up the oil thing. Yeah. <laughs> Call Blessus and her a whole subject. He's huge on oil, isn't he? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, you know, I ditch the oil. At home, I never cook with oil. If I'm out in a restaurant, I don't worry about it. You know, the stress of worrying about it's, yeah, yeah. it, I don't worry. But, yeah, so, but how I ate back then and how I eat now is totally different. Talk it's me same. through that. How has it changed? Well, in those earlier days, I it was more, it was more of the starch-based foods. My whole plate was more like, you know, a big bowl of pasta and no, leafy greens or high water content vegetables and or, you know, big casseroles or dals that are just lentils and legumes and not a lot of the vegetables. Now, that there still will help your help the internal 
parts of your body to get well, like heal the heart and get your numbers good. However, though, I found to really lose the weight and to have super health, over the years, I started to experiment with the body. And what I, how I eat now is like, I call it the I feel good plate. So I have this plate and on that plate is 60 to 70% of that plate needs to be high water content vegetables. So vegetables that grow above the ground, you know, broccoli and all the Asian leafy greens and the cucumbers and tomatoes or any fruit and vegetable that grows above the ground. Um, that's juicy, lots of water in it with at least two handfuls of leafy greens. And those vegetables or leafy greens can be cooked or raw, doesn't matter. That's 60 to 70% of the plate, that. And Isn't then, that amazing that, that that's sort of star, that's the star of your plate? That's the star, man. Versus the standard Western or standard Australian or American diet <laughs> when it's like, what are we having for dinner tonight, mum? Chicken. <laughs> what are we having for dinner tomorrow night? Steak. It's always about the, the meat, right? It's always about the meat. So it's the a complete the reversal. Greens, man. Yeah. And that's where super health comes from. Like it's these leafy greens, you know, they're full of phytonutrients and they're full of um, calcium. They're full of all these minerals and full of protein. So it's incredible. So, and then I have about 30% of the plate of starchy vegetables, which are the, the root vegetables, you know, potatoes, sweet potatoes or legumes, you know, kidney beans or chickpeas or, or lentils or uh, what's another starchy vegetable uh, or grain you know, maybe some red rice or brown rice or, you know, quinoa or millet or something. And then I have about 5 or 10% of the, the plate as a whole food fat. So that'll be avocado or some nuts and seeds or I'll make some cashew sour cream or, yeah. you know, Delicious. olives. You know. Making me hungry. That's <laughs> so that's my plate. exactly man. how I eat. Is that how you eat too? Yeah. yeah. How, did, how did that happen for you? How did you end up to that point? Initially, when I started transitioning my diet away from where it was, I had a very, uh, let's say, what I thought was a healthy sort of bro science type diet. So I was eating, you know, vegetables like sweet potato and broccoli and, and still having greens and stuff. But yeah. I was having, this is years ago now, but having it with like salmon or with like what I was calling lean meat kind of thing. Then as I started, so when I came out of that, naturally to go to the next level it wasn't to a processed i wasn't having processed food anyway mm. so it was to a very whole food plant-based from the start but yeah just just through doing a lot of reading listening to guys like esselstein talk you know i quickly realized that if i'm going to be getting my fats it's going to be from whole foods and i don't actually need that much of it and that the star of the plate needs to be centered around vegetables or fruit Mm-hmm. you know and then you, pretty much exactly how you said it and and when you eat like that though there's so many different recipes and variations and so many you can make meals of you know all sorts of cuisines mexican japanese everything so it sounds very simple but it's you can get very creative yeah absolutely and did you feel a lot better when you started yeah shifting the plate to that? absolutely and and you know at, there are times like you said socially when you eat out and everything i eat is always 100 percent vegan but there are times when you eat out and you're exposed to a little bit more oil or some more sort of vegan junk food. And I think that's okay to have a bit of social balance in your life and to not feel like you can't hang out with your friends or family out at a restaurant. That's also an important part of life. But I, my body does notice it if I have a bit too much of that. <laughs> yeah, mine does too. And like me, it's, I'm 100% vegan. I'll never eat an animal product ever again. And But, yeah, you notice the oil when people cook in oil. Yeah. Like it, and I don't eat out that much. I mainly I like just. How do, you, how do you get around the the no 
oil cooking. So I know there might be some listeners who are like, hang on, how does that work? So mm-hmm. what, are you, what are your sort of tips and um, tricks for preparing food oil-free? Yeah, it's, it's quite easy once you know how. It's like anything, learning something new is always a learning curve. But it's actually simple once you get it. A lot of people would have heard about just sautéing in water. Now, that's one way to do it, but it's not the best way to do it because you're just steaming the onion, okay? And that onion is just is just um, white and that has no caramelization. It gives you no depth of flavor. So here's the chef coming out of me. So you, you the way you do it, though, you heat the pan or the pot or the wok and then you add the chopped onion and you just stir fry it as usual without water or without oil and it will start to caramelize. It's like putting it onto a barbecue plate without oil. It just starts to brown. So you just keep moving it and it starts to brown and that caramelization gives you the flavor. And then just to finish it, once it starts to color, and it's the color that you want, you want this, you know, golden, dark, sort of brownie color to it, just add a splash of water and that'll deglaze the plant, pan and I'll just steam the onions through a little bit more. Does that stop soft. them sticking as well? They don't stick if you keep it moving with a spoon. So that's the trick. You have keep to keep it moving. it moving, yeah. Yeah, okay. And then add that just to cook it through and deglaze the pan and then you get this depth of flavor that you would get if you cooked in oil. Not 100% the same as oil because the oil has a flavor, but it's pretty close and you can get really rich, deep flavors with it. Mm. And your taste buds change. So like as soon as you've gone a while without the oil, mm. you, you're not sort of thinking about it so much. Yeah. And the cooking, the cleaning up yeah. without oil, so much better. What, do you, what about do you do much sort of steaming or baking? Or- yeah. Um, one of my favorite meals right now, and it's probably boring to a lot of people, but your palate changes and your body likes things. And this is what it is. It's just steamed vegetables broccoli, lots of leafy greens, some carrots, some zucchinis with some tahini, lemon juice, salt and pepper, and maybe a little bit of a grain or some, or sweet potato. And I could eat that every night of the week. It's it's so delicious. Tahini. It's incredible stuff. Tahini. I think tahini, I make some cashew cheese at home. What else make And hummus, they're like my three go-tos for for putting on top of bowls. Yeah, and that's the important thing is the prep. You know, I've got a program that I teach people how to do this and the key thing is making dressings, making sauces, making, so we, you know, we can make a peanut sauce, we make a hummus, we make cashew sour cream or cashew cheese. Um, we make all, all these different dressings. I've got about 22 dressings that I share with people and they're oil-free. And that way, and also, you know, have some roasted sweet potato always in the fridge and leafy greens and, you can have a, and some steamed grains and cooked grains and you've got this amazing meal in minutes. Makes it a lot easier. In minutes. It's a, bit, it's a bit of a myth. What do you, about food preparation time, a lot of people say it takes longer to cook vegan food or it's more expensive. What do you think about that? Yeah, if you're doing it from scratch, it definitely takes longer because if you're cooking brown rice, it takes, you know, half an hour, 40 minutes sometimes. There's a lot more chopping involved, so that takes up time. However, you can make it super quick if you allocate some time each week every couple of days to do some prep and always have some roasted sweet potato and some cooked rice in the fridge and some dressings it's super easy do it in bulk you can make big and casseroles and curries make those freeze them in small portions pull them out have something in the fridge all the time and you can you'll have dinner and lunch like ready in literally five minutes it's it's that quick and easy it's super fast if you set aside a couple of hours each week to do some prep. And it doesn't need to be expensive. Literally, we've 
got people in our group that do it for 50, 60 bucks a week. Yeah. And they've never been healthier, you know. Stick to the basics. and Stick to the basics. Well, how much does it cost to buy some grain? Yeah. How much does it cost to buy sweet potato? Mm-hmm. Like you can go in and buy an avocado for two bucks or you can go in and buy uh, one of those big bags of lettuces for three or four bucks or you can buy a packet of chips for four bucks, you know. Yeah, exactly. And the volume's there. Or you buy an apple for, what, 40, 50 mm. cents What's the, the, the difference in nutrient density? I don't know. So I, I walk into a Woolworths and I'll go, this is a chocolate aisle, which I used to go to. And, you know, I could buy a block of chocolate for uh, two bucks, 50 or whatever it is. Or I can go and grab an apple or any piece of fruit, a mango for a buck for half the price. And, you know, my body's just going to get healthier as opposed to unhealthy. It's a choice. We got this choice every day. You know, we can use this hand to. And pick it starts up food. with that knowledge because you need to have the knowledge of, of what food is mm-hmm. to be able to make that choice. Yeah. So there's only, here's two questions that I, I share with everybody. Because a lot of people ask me, Adam, what food, is this food good? Is this one better than this one? You probably get the same yeah. as well. And this is the answer. Number one, is it a plant? And if the answer is yes to that, that's good. Number two is, is it in the form that nature handed it to me? If the answer to that is yes, eat it. It's like two questions you need to remember. The formula. That's it. It's so simple. Yeah. Hey, so let's let's just continue on with your journey. You So you, you had this life-changing experience when you had your heart attack and you came out the other side, you've changed your diet. Yeah. And I, I know because I heard you speak about it in Bali, you had a spark, something within you that wanted to, to take on a challenge, a physical challenge, and you ended up becoming an Ironman, <laughs> right, which is crazy for someone who was overweight and had a heart attack and in your position, right, where you were scared to walk, like you said before. How did that evolve? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's an interesting story and it wasn't something I was looking to do, but it just happened. It was like destiny. So after I had the heart attack, a couple of years later, my wife bought me a push bike and I started cycling with the local bike shop that we bought it from in Berry on a Saturday morning. There's a whole bunch of us would ride. Some guys in there, super fit guys. Some, some of them are Ironman had done Kona. But afterwards, we'd always end up with having a coffee. And one guy said to me, Adam, oh, look, we're training for an Ironman. We're going to be doing a swim on Monday morning. Do you want to come to the pool with us? Now, swimming was my sport when I was a kid. Like every morning I was in the pool five days a week before school. I thought, yeah, I'd love to get in the pool. So I said, yeah, I'll come. So we went and we swam. Driving home, this guy drove me home and I told him about how I'd had this heart attack and that I'm no longer on meds and I started to get exercise, you know, build exercise back into my life. And, and he goes, that's really interesting because I'm a doctor. And I went, really? And he said, yeah. He said, and then he just said, no, I've got this cool idea. It would be amazing to take you from MI, myocardial infarction. Function, yeah which is heart attack, to I am, Iron Man. I went, yeah, right. <laughs> he said, no, look, I've done eight yeah. Iron Men. MI to I am. MI to I am. Yeah, wow. Heart attack to Iron Man. I went, wow, I'll, um, I didn't know what to say because when I was a kid, I would see these endurance athletes and go, man, I'd love to do that, but n- never in my million years did I ever think I could be fit enough to do it, ever. And so I never pursued it. And that was as a kid, as a let kid. alone, you know, as an adult who's had a heart attack. At 39, you know, I was 40-something 40 then, 42 or whatever. And he said, 
yeah, I can do it. And so I thought this opportunity is never going to come up again. I'm going to grab it. And I said, okay, well, let's do it. So we started training me. He trained and we booked in for the 2014 Cairns Ironman. What did the training involve? The training involved swimming, cycling, a lot of cycling and running. And we'd swim a few mornings a week um, up to two to three Ks. So he'd do everything sort of side by side with you? Yeah, and it was three or four other guys that yeah. we do. And we'd ride every Saturday morning. We'd start riding every day. And as we got closer, the rides were getting up to, you know, five, six-hour rides. So it took a lot of time. <laughs> and through that, you uh, presumably you were just getting more and more confident in your body. Was there stages where you were like, I don't know physically if my heart can do this? Yeah, I, those thoughts definitely went through my head. But I knew that eating this way and all my blood numbers were all good. You know, my cholesterol come down to 3.8. And as I was training, you know, my recovery rates and my heart rates were really good. And I just kept going. I just kept the vision of being at the Ironman. And we'd train and train every day and there's a few of us. And then one day on a run, I just went for a run myself and I hadn't done a 21K run yet. And we were a few months out from Cairns. I thought, shit, I need a 42K run I've got to do. I'd better up the run a bit. So I did, and I tore the tendon that joins my hamstring to my knee. And I was, someone had to come pick me up. I couldn't walk, and I was out, and I couldn't do the Ironman. But I booked, so I went with these guys. There's about four or five of them, and I watched them do the 2014 Ironman. And thank God this tear happened because... I had no idea what I was getting in for. These guys were leaving like at dawn, coming in way after dark. I'm going, holy shit, Adam, you weren't ready for this. Okay. And um, But it gave you an appreciation for what level you needed to get to. Totally. And all I heard at that race, every time someone crosses the line, the announcer goes, you know, Simon Hill, you are an Iron Man. Every time someone crosses their name and you are an Iron Man, and that was just going through my head all night watching these guys. I'm going, man, I want that. So after the race, I said to I said to the guy that was training me, I said, man, I want to do it next year. Let's get this leg sorted. He sent me some specialists. We got it sorted. And we started training again. And we did 2015 Ironman. And it was a tough day. It was I'm standing at that start line ready for the swim and I'm feeling good. And got out of the water, I think it was an hour and four minutes or five minutes or something, which was a nice swim. Got on the bike and we rode, they shut the road from Cairns to Port Douglas. So that coast road and there's no cars and it's just bikes and man, it was wow. beautiful. Yeah. So up to Port Douglas and back. That That's was an incredible experience in itself. Totally. It's a great Ironman to do. Like it's one of the most scenic in the world. It's beautiful. So I um, did that in six and a half, which is a fair time. That was expected. Most of my training was on the bike because I could swim and I was okay runner, but I wasn't bike fit. And that was the biggest part, 180 Ks. So um, I really had to get in shape for that. So a lot of the training was around that, got off the bike to plan. And then I started to run and about 300 meters into the run, two or 300 meters, I got these incredible stomach cramps. Like literally I'm bent over. And I can't move and I'm in super pain. I go to the bathroom. I can't go to the toilet. Just like cramps and nothing would release. I just couldn't release the stomach and or anything around my pelvis. And I went, shit, I'm, 
I, and then I started thinking about quitting and going, I can't do this. Like I'm out. And I got out of the toilet and I started to walk along a bit. And then I saw a mate who'd done the half and he was on the sideline and he said, what's going on? And I said, man, I, like I'm, I'm stuffed. My stomach's hurting. I can't move. I can't go to the bathroom. Like I'm going to have to bail. And he goes, mate, you've come so far, man. It's like, it's just 42 Ks <laughs> and it's been two years in the making. He said, look, I've done the numbers. You could walk the 42 Ks and you're still coming under 17 hours and be an Iron Man. Just sit down, just chill, just relax. It'll come good. Half an hour later, it started to soften and um, got up and started moving again. And it was tough, you know. Um, I think it took two and a half hours to do that first 10 Ks and then it all came back and I had a nice run. And then the last eight Ks, you know, my legs were had it, uh, pain and cramps in my calves. And I walked most of that eight Ks at the end. And then I got to the shoot. So you got to the finish. Yeah, got to the shoot and I started running. I'm running down there and it's awesome. I crossed the line and the guy goes, Adam Guthrie, you're an Ironman. And the guy who trained me was standing there and with a towel and he um, just wrapped it around me and I fell into his body and just cried, you know. Is this guy had taken me from what I thought was impossible to the, you know, something that was possible, totally changed my life in regards to what is possible. And it's amazing the capacity of the human body. And I learned a lot about life in training for an Ironman because, you know, it's all about persistence and, you know, when things get tough, continuing and understanding that, you know, life is always ups and downs. You know, we all try and get to the high and keep it on a high the whole time. But the reality is, you know, life is always up and down. And I think what I learned through the Ironman is that it's okay to go through the ups and downs. Just don't get attached to either of them because the downs never last. And the ups. Which is like a monk mentality. Totally. And, I mean, to the point of it's almost like that limitless potential. Yeah. And do you think a lot of people put a ceiling on their potential and and, and are limiting themselves through just, just through their mindset rather than, you know, what they could physically do? Totally. We all do, you know. I had no idea I could do that. I had a belief when I was a kid that I could never do that. And here I am, you know, in my 40s doing it after a heart attack. So, yeah, I think the environment you're in affects your belief systems. It all comes back to a belief whether you can or can't do it is true. And it's about getting around people that believe you can do it helps raise that belief system that things are possible. So I'm a big believer in your peer group if you want to do an Ironman get around Ironman if you want to surf get around surfers if you want to you know eat plant-based get around people that eat plant-based and it just starts to shift your mindset learn so much from other people totally totally we all got teachers you find out you don't know what you don't know until you get around those people who can can help guide you and say hey Adam maybe maybe try this maybe try that totally yeah wow that's an incredible story man Thanks, man. It, 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 has, it, has it changed your way of how you look at your life now on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, totally. My life's totally different. You know, like, you know, I'm lucky to be here. 40% of people die. And that was a big shift. That's when we packed up, went to Bali, sold my business. And now my life is based around, it used to be based around financial success, but it's not, that, that's not my most driver now. It's more about relationships you know, hanging out with my kids, spending time in nature, looking after the body, being appreciative of 
the gift of life because, you know, we take it for granted that it could be gone next breath, literally. I, I see life simply now. I don't, you know, I've got three or four pieces, pairs of clothes and I just rotate those. I live a very simple life and it's freeing. It gives you more time, less stress, you're happier. Everyone around you seems happier. It's pretty cool. And I know you talk a lot about clarifying your purpose. Yeah. Right? And you seem to have done this with your own life. What steps can someone take to do that? How can they, how can someone identify what is their true calling? What is their true purpose? Mm. No, that's good. We've all got intuition. And the intuition, when we learn how to listen to it, it actually gives us the correct answers. A lot of us hear the intuition, but it's muddy. You know, we're confused. You might be at a crossroad. Do I go this way, this way? And you're getting, you know, thoughts and intuitively you may think this is it, but then you get confused. You may think it's that one. Well, if we eat plant-based, our vibration rises and we can hear that intuition clearly and there's no doubt. We can go, that's the path to go down. So my first recommendation to people is start eating a whole food plant-based diet your intuition will start to rise. You'll be able to access intuition and hear it more clearly. That's the first step. And once you start to get that, you can do processes like you can do some goal-setting workshops around that where you look at the beliefs that, well, first of all, access that, have someone help you go through a visioning process that you know is very clear. And I take people through that sort of a process. And what's interesting, every single person has a different vision. And the reason I believe that's the case is because we're all destined for something. And the fact that you were given that thought and that vision over the person next to you had a different vision means that you have the capacity to make that happen. Otherwise, you wouldn't see it because everything starts in the mind. Now, if you've had that thought, you've got the capacity and it's whether you take the action on it or not. You can choose to take the action or not take the action, but it's wanting to manifest for you. So once you get clear on that, then let's get it, take it from the mind and get it into the physical. And the first step is to write it out. Yeah, you had a really beautiful way of doing it at your your talk in, in Orwood. Yeah. Remember, I think you had us basically like standing in a circle and closing our eyes. Yeah, yeah. You take us through that. We can do that now. Let's do that now. Yeah, I'll take you through it. So the, uh, the listeners can do this as well. Yeah, okay. So first of all, probably let's take a deep breath into the stomach through the nose and then out through the nose and let's do four rounds of that we'll breathe in for the count of four and exhale for the count of four and we'll do it four times let's let's start now I'll count you through it breathe in through your nose one two three four Exhale through your nose. Two, three, four. Inhale. Two, three, four. Exhale. Two, three, four. Let's just do it a few more times, counting to yourself. Okay, now with your eyes closed, I want you to imagine something that you want in your life. 
And while you're standing there, I want you to imagine there's a circle just in front of you. And inside that circle is you. At the moment that you are achieving that goal that you visioned. And inside that circle is your favourite colour. Can you see it? So inside that circle is your favourite colour and you standing there at the moment that you realise that this vision has happened and you see yourself. It's like you're watching yourself on a big TV screen. Can you see yourself there? And then I want you to imagine this golden light just beaming down over you. And everything just sparkles and becomes more alive and makes you happier. Now what I want you to do, on the count of three, I want you to step into your body that's inside that circle that you're looking at, but only on the count of three. While you're looking at that screen of you, I want you to look around you, see yourself there. Where are you? What's being said? What are you doing at the moment that you achieve that vision? And how does it make you feel? What's the emotion coming from that screen? Now on the count of three, I want you to step into your body that's inside that circle on that screen. One, it's pulling you. You are pulling you closer to you. Two, you are pulling you even closer to the moment in the future where that vision became real. Can you see yourself there? You're almost in you. You're almost there. Two, two, two. On the count of three, when I say three, I want you to step into you as if you're there. So you're no longer looking at you. You're actually in your body. Two, two, two. In your mind's eye, step into you. Three. Now, while you're there inside you, at the moment that that happened, I just want you to pick up your hand in your mind's eye and look at it so you know that you're in your body looking at your hand. And then, what do you see? What's around you at the moment you achieve that goal? What do you feel? What do you hear? What do you feel on your skin? What sort of look do you have on your face when you know that you just made something happen that was destined and you created it or it was given to you and you just showed up? Now on the count of three, I want you to open your eyes and I want you to bring that memory with you because you've just been to a vision in the future that you've got the potential to manifest and become a reality. One, two, and on the count of three, I want you to open your eyes, put a big smile on your dial, put your hand on your heart and say thank you.
two, three. Open your eyes. Thank you, man. Pleasure, man. Did you see something cool? Second time around, yeah. Saw something really cool. So <laughs> I, uh, it's just a, it's a great way to to manifest. Yeah, it really is. So it sets a reticular activating system, which is this concept that the mind that everything already exists, but our mind has filters and we can only see certain things. It's like when you buy a car, you drive out of the car yard and all of a sudden you see your car that, that you just bought everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere, right. right? Yeah. So that's, so and that you never saw it before. So, so true. Yeah. So what we're doing is just setting that reticular activating system so that now everything starts to, that you visioned there and felt, um, everything now you start seeing it everywhere and it starts to show up really fast. I mean, there's other steps to that. We want to get clear on your vision and I help people go through that process to get super clear on their vision and then we create a plan to make that happen. Yeah, yeah. Talk, talk to me about your your work that you're doing now and the magazine and your coaching and stuff. What is, what is a, a day of or a week of sort of helping people and work look like for you? Yeah, well, we've got an online program which has been running for a year and we've got 250 people in that. What's that called? It's called the I Feel Good program. I Feel Good. And it teaches people how to eat a whole food plant-based diet, but specifically help people that are really overweight, have heart disease or diabetes, and teach them how to eat this way. And the results have been amazing. We've had two people within 12 weeks reverse type 2 diabetes, and it's been, you know, a year now, and they still don't have it. They look amazing. Yeah. We've had people, ladies, lose up to 40 kilos. Their doctors have taken- Power of plants. Man, changed their life, their world, man. I had Dr. Michelle McMacken on the podcast okay. talking about type 2 diabetes and, and reversing it yeah. with a uh, low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet just recently. Yeah. yeah. So we help them do That's that. And yeah, it's, it's so powerful, so powerful. Food is so powerful. And we teach them how to, you know, just transition into that because it can be hard at the start. And once they get it and develop the habit, their palates change, their bowls are full of leafy greens where they couldn't eat leafy greens at the start. So that's one aspect we've got. We've also got the magazine, which is published weekly. We've had that going for about six you years. You get on iTunes, right? iTunes or yep. on the other store. I'll put some links for, for, yeah. for you guys listening just so you yeah. can check it all out. Actually, if your guys want, I'll give them a year's free subscription. So There you go. I'll give you a code. There you go, guys. Everyone can have, have it. I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah, I will. <laughs> Absolutely. No problem. Cool. So we will, we'll, we'll work that out in the show notes. Yeah. And then I do just one-on-one coaching and I – um, do group, uh, we hold retreats and we take people through deeper processes, you know, to basically self-love because it all comes back to we don't feel good enough and we help raise the vibration by eating this food and then when things come up, we help them, give them tools to How does that make accept. you feel to to be helping people reverse their diabetes and to lose weight and take themselves out of it? potentially a life-threatening situation like you experienced. Mm. How it makes me feel, it, it reinforced that what I was doing really works because not only has it worked for me, it's working for all these other people and they do it with their doctor. I make sure they go to the doctor and they take a letter and and it's incredibly rewarding and it's brought tears to my eyes many times to see people that have suffered for 60, 70 years with being overweight, being depressed, having these diseases that are debilitating, they can't move, to see these people now walking up to the lighthouse and thriving and having all this energy and just feeling amazing. 
for me, it's one of the best work. I'm living my purpose. I feel like I've always wanted to do this, but I've never allowed myself to do it. And, you know, I took the courage to step out of that career that was financially very good for me to go and live my purpose. And it's been a journey. Mm. Um, But I tell you, it's been worth every moment, because uh, even the ups and downs and can be tough. When you follow your true purpose, nothing tangible can compete with that feeling, can it? Nothing. Nothing, man. And, and serving others. Serving others, helping others. And the beautiful thing I love about it is that nothing suffers, nothing injures, gets injured. You know, like this way, like the stuff that you teach, what we teach, I teach, and everyone else is in the plant-based, it actually human bodies don't suffer. They actually get well. Animals don't suffer they're not being killed and the planet you know we're putting the least amount of pressure and impact onto the planet planet environmentally like only good comes from it so it's a great way passionate way of living it's a compassionate way of living and um it's a loving way of living it's incredible man a couple of questions just to to wind this one up Mm -hmm. a lot of people ask me about how they should talk to their kids about plant-based diet about you know Perhaps they've been eating meat and they want to transition them or perhaps they're young and they're growing up plant-based, you know, and it's obviously a very individual question in terms of how you approach it and how you talk to a kid about where meat comes from and things like that. But what, I'm, what I'd be interested in for you is how would have you liked to have been educated, whether at school or through the community as a kid growing up, about the food on your plate and where it's come from? Mm. Yeah, knowing what I know now, it would have been, especially if you're interested in sport, it would have been great to know that you could get protein from vegetables. Yeah, I think it's a really important thing that people know. I believe everybody has the choice. I don't believe that everyone has to be plant-based, whole food or vegan. Everyone's got the choice, just like we've got the choice to eat plants. They've got the choice to eat meat if they want. I don't agree with eating meat, but it's their choice. And the science behind it shows that eating plants is actually um, a great thing to do for those three reasons that we talked about. So I would like people to have that choice. Now, to have that choice, you need to understand it. You need to know it's there and you need to know the principles of it. So that would be great if, if, that, if I was a kid and I was at school and in the subjects of health that we were shown that, okay, here's all the different ways we can eat. Here's a, here's a whole food plant-based diet. Here's the science behind it. Here's all the proof and the evidence that it's really cool. And here's the, here's the evidence and everything around meat. And it's your choice what you want to do. And I think the same with people that have these diet-related diseases, you know, heart, to be, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, autoimmune diseases. I think I'd love to see the day when you sit down with a GP or a specialist and they say, look, you've got a choice. You can keep eating the way you have been, will give you medications, it'll keep you alive, but you're never going to get well and you're not going to feel good or you can eat a whole food plant-based diet. You'll have to make some changes and we'll support you in making those changes. But if you do, there's a good possibility you can get off all meds and you can reverse the aging process. You'll look younger, you'll feel good, you have all this energy. I think it's about choice and without the information, you can't make a choice. And I don't know why that choice is not given that information of a whole food plant-based diet is not being taught so people can have the choice yeah sometimes the curriculum i guess and the medical advice is a little bit behind 
you know, where, where we're up to, you know, as a society and with science and stuff. So hopefully it all catches up because I remember my food pyramid in, in high school and uh, a little, little different to how I eat now. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see the I feel good plate at school. And I'm, I'm almost positive and there's probably people out here from I, I did high school in Melbourne probably that can back me up on this that Coca-Cola was in that pyramid or next to it. Whoa. Um, so I'm not sure whether, I'm not sure whether that was a paid Whoa. placement, but Coca-Cola was certainly in my PE book. Definitely uh, dairy was. Yeah, definitely dairy was there. Yeah. Now to finish what's been a really brilliant conversation, I've got a, a sort of parting question. What do you think the world needs more of? <laughs> what do I think it needs more of? That's interesting you ask me that because I actually, this is probably not the answer you're expecting and it's um, probably not the answer most people would expect, but I actually think the world is operating how it's meant to operate and I think we're just going through time and I think what I actually think is happening, so you can look at life two ways. You can look like that we create stuff or that things are predestined. Now, I don't know which way is true. What I've found for myself, though, if looking at life that things are destined, it makes life a lot easier as long as you're accessing intuition. I think the world is on a path where it needs to heal itself and it wants to heal itself and it's making that manifest through thoughts and putting that in people like yourself that's sharing a plant-based message that has less impact on the environment and people's health. I think it's wanting to shift mental health issues because that's a lot that's showing up right now. So I think um, I think it's on. I think it's doing its thing. It's like a process, and I think if each of us can just live as simply as possible, and to me that is eating plants, and you know, um, not working all the time, <laughs> you know, just having a simple life, not consuming a lot of stuff, consume less buy recycled stuff so there's no more pressure on making things. So I think that that is the message that's coming through from the planet itself, from the universe, from that energy that's sustaining us, that it's heading in that direction and it's putting thoughts into people's heads to start to manifest that. So I think that we're going to see more and more of that, whether you know we agree with that or not, I think that's where it's headed. Really positive way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mate, thank you very much for joining me. I'm sure everyone's going to love your story and, you know, I love what you're doing and, and the impact that you're having on people's lives. So thank you very much for doing what you do. Thanks, mate. Pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure for having me. Thanks. <laughs> wow. What an inspiring story from heart attack to Iron Man and now serving others by spreading this message about the power of plant foods. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and have feedback or comments, please share them on social media. I'm really loving the video reviews that many of you are uploading to your stories, your Instagram stories, talking about your favorite parts of the episode. Also, be sure to check out Adam's online magazine and app. Use the code in the show notes for a free subscription. Friends, I will see you in the next episode. Cheers. Cheers.